This is Amazing Things, and I'm Adam Belmar. Today, a special Newsmaker edition of the podcast from Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with the chairman of the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee on Labor, Health, and Human Services, Senator Roy Blunt. Welcome to the podcast, Senator. Adam, good to be with you. The Amazing Things podcast is presented by United for Medical Research because America's investment in medical research through the National Institutes of Health is making amazing things possible. Learn more at unitedformedicalresearch.com. Senator Blunt, you've held the gavel as chairman of the Labor Aid Subcommittee on Appropriations for four years, and during that time you successfully led efforts to rebuild the National Institute of Health's budget and put NIH on a sustainable annual growth path. How important is biomedical research through the NIH to the health and well-being of our nation? Well, you know, first of all, I, I think this is a particularly exciting time for health research, but research generally has some, been something that the federal government has been committed to since at least the 1860s, health research more recently than that. But there are areas where the private sector is not going to get done what needs to be done in the way it needs to be done. There are other ways where a combination of research institutions, NIH, and private sector working together can find things we wouldn't have found otherwise. And we're at this interesting moment right now with the discovery of the human genome. And that was an exciting thing when it was discovered, but I think it's gotten more exciting as we figured out what that means, truly means for healthcare. You know, what, what about this moment where we've figured out that each of us is different than the rest of us, uh, and uh, those differences can make a big difference in, in how you uh, fight for health, how you maintain your health, how you fight back uh, when, some, when you're being challenged in your health. And uh, I think there's a new sense that in many areas, Everybody needs to look at that from their own individual structure. What kind of fighting force do you have inside you uh, that, that may be being overwhelmed, but we can figure out some way uh, to do that? Also, you're looking at this CRISPR technology where even the fundamental, the basic genetic structure uh, can be uh, altered in a way that change something that is inevitable to where it's no longer inevitable in in what could be a bad health outcome for you and your family. Just this month, the Senate passed, through regular order, I might add, the Labor HHS Appropriations Bill, which included an additional $2 billion for the National Institutes of Health. This is the fourth year of increases in funding after a decade of virtual flat funding much has been accomplished. Will you talk about that and what also needs to happen as we go forward? Well, I am, I am pleased with what, what we've been able to do and do in a bipartisan way in the, the four years I've been chairman of this subcommittee. It's the biggest subcommittee besides defense. Have the good fortune to also be on that subcommittee, but uh, chair this committee that has such diversity uh, in labor and health and education is also that diversity is also one of the reasons that this bill hasn't been on the floor in a long time. This is the first time in 11 years uh, that the 69 senators that aren't on the Appropriations Committee have got to see that bill on the floor, got a chance to debate it, got a chance to look at it. I think one of the reasons, Adam, we were able to get that bill to the floor this year is what's happened in the previous three years. Uh, The change in 
uh, NIH research, uh, the, the community response to that, the health community, the research community response to that, I think pointed out to my, my uh, friends and colleagues in the Senate that here is something that it's really important to be for, and it's important to be for it now. Uh, as you pointed out, that $2 billion increase means uh, $9 billion over um, over four years, if we can hold on to that $2 billion number before, as it gets uh, further along and gets to the president's desk, that's, that's a 30% increase in a uh, line item that basically had been flat for 12 years. And it was a 12 years of uh, critical opportunity that we won't get totally back, but I think we're making real headway on that. Some of that money set aside for young researchers who were just frankly giving up in an environment where every year in real dollars, you had fewer real dollars coming from NIH than you had the previous, uh, the previous year. And that happened for 12 years straight. And so getting that bill to the floor, being able to go to the floor and talk about what's happening with the brain initiative and Alzheimer's and uh, healthcare research of various kinds, the huge uh, million person cohort that the uh, NIH is trying to put together to where you have a million people voluntarily part of a process to where their unique health care times a million uh, becomes part of a, of a big basis for researchers to look at and uh, determine what needs to happen next. You're listening to the Amazing Things podcast by United for Medical Research, and we're joined today by U.S. Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri. Sir, your state is a leader in biomedical research, especially in the areas of cancer and Alzheimer's. What impact do NIH grants have on your universities back home? Well, they do, and you, we want to point. This is a good time to point out too. Every state has at least one NIH grant, uh, and um, does that mean that? Every state has something they're better at than anybody else. No, but I still think it was a pretty good decision whenever it was made that uh, we're going to maintain support for this program partly by being sure everybody is close enough to touch part of it uh, if they want to. Uh, in our state, we've got a number of institutions that, uh, whether it's uh, St. Louis University that very involved in um, things like a, a maybe a vaccine for Zika or uh, flu vaccines or other kinds of vaccines. Uh, Washington University in St. Louis is, is the, uh, one of the top four recipients of NIH money, something that, frankly, I didn't know when I decided we were going to prioritize NIH, but I wasn't displeased to find that out a couple of years later that I, I knew they were a great research institution. I didn't know they were at the very top ranks of the recipients of of uh, research dollars. University of Missouri at Columbia uh, is, is part of that process of what's happening in the Kansas City area hospitals and, and even the KU uh, Missouri Hospital partnerships, part of that. So this is a wide-ranging thing and uh, uh, you know one of the reasons to want to want to think about healthcare research beyond the impact of, on individuals and their families we're at a very critical moment here in terms of what we know that we didn't used to know and how you make the most of that. And the economic opportunities of the countries that lead in that area are going to be greater than the countries that basically have to later adopt what is developed somewhere else. So there's a significant uh, 
economic impact of the $39 billion a year we spend in the country if we get this last two, this next $2 billion. That in itself has a lot of impact in our economy, but a much greater impact will be if we truly do become uh, the leader in these things like immunotherapy, where uh, you know, so many cancers now uh, we believe that you can, you can deal with and, and uh, it's now an established uh, idea that you could deal with by again just kind of amping up uh, your, your fighting capacity that's unique to you. Uh, maybe your cancers overwhelmed the ability to fight that you initially have, but that no longer means that there's no way to enhance your ability to fight. You just have to figure out what it is in you that fights back against that particular attack. And in uh, a lot of cancers, particularly cancers that involve the blood system, uh, great success so far. Now a lot of the research is, okay, why does it work here but doesn't work here? Uh, whoever develops immunotherapy, whoever develops CRISPR technology, whoever finds a uh, universal vaccine for the flu is going to have a significant ability to help others, but uh, that's uh, to also help create jobs here that wouldn't be here otherwise. So that's, that's another reason that uh, spreading out this opportunity is a helpful thing. You mentioned two elements that have been a focus for us at United for Medical Research. Uh, one of them, junior researchers, uh, and how important it is to make sure that the next generation is receiving funding and has a future. And you also just talked about the economies of funding NIH and how that moves down into the states. I went and looked it up, and apparently we've got about $537 million in NIH funding in 2017 that made its way into Missouri, but that also provided about $1.3 billion in economic activity and supported 7,500 jobs. And this is a story that repeats itself across the nation. When you think about biomedical research in NIH, um, is the next generation top of mind for you and the jobs that all this supports? Well, it is. And also, in addition to that uh, $3 for every dollar you invest kind of economic impact, it's also pretty normal that the researchers and scientists that develop something, particularly if they're able to turn that into a business that they own or a part of or a significant part of, uh, they often put that business right where they where they where they made the discovery in the community they're already living in and the community where they know that they have the, the backup support they may need to make that continue to work uh, and improve and uh, and so this is I think it's going to be one of the real growth areas of the next um, generation is how we look at healthcare in a totally different way than we looked at it uh, a generation ago there hasn't hasn't been that long. Uh, when there weren't that many pharmaceuticals that were available. It hasn't been that long, certainly, where uh, five years ago, if you talked about immunotherapy, that was, oh, well, that's out there, but we don't know that anybody's really going to discover that. We had a hearing uh, within the last um, six months where it's just listed on a list of things we're doing now every day, not necessarily as research, but healthcare, as if uh, it had been around for decades. Uh, and that's how quickly I think healthcare uh, is moving now. And finally, I just want to ask you, as you look forward uh, into the future and you think about the funding priorities for our government and a commitment to annual increases in NIH, um, how do you talk to your colleagues about 
keeping up with this muscle memory that you've instituted in the committee? How do you make those priorities ones that stick where, as you say, when everything's a priority, nothing's a priority? Well, you know, I think you, you have to find uh, examples of uh, where it just makes unreasonable common sense to move forward in these areas. Uh, Alzheimer's, uh, I talked about a little bit during the debate on this bill uh, the other day. You know, we're already spending in tax dollars about $277 billion state and federal put together to deal with Alzheimer's and dementia care. $277 billion is roughly half the defense budget. Uh, and if we don't do something to find a way to, uh, uh, to change the trajectory of Alzheimer's as the demographics change, uh, by 2050, it'd be twice the defense budget, 1.1 trillion of today's dollars. So, you know, we've, we've finally, we've moved Alzheimer's in four years from a federal investment of about $600 million to $2.34 billion, uh, but that's still less than 1% of the, the tax commitment, of taxpayer commitment to Alzheimer's. So if you're spending that much money and it's growing as exponentially as it is, uh, the only reasonable thing to do is see if you can find some way to help the individuals and their families who have or may have Alzheimer's to find a test that makes it easy to determine early uh, what, who you can be dealing with to try to slow this down. If you could delay onset of Alzheimer's, for instance, by um, an average of five years, you'd save 42% of that $1.1 trillion, which is, again, that's 42% of $1.1 trillion is essentially today's defense budget. You could save the entire defense budget for the country every single year if you could just figure out uh, better ways to anticipate and deal with uh, Alzheimer's and uh, you know, the obviously the best way would be to find the actual cure as a law but to find the cure you've got to find a reasonable way to diagnose all of those things are things that when uh, you begin to talk to members of the House and Senate about them they're, they're, they realize this is a case we can and should make at home this is something that uh, people that we work for will want to believe the federal government is doing and the numbers are pretty persuasive. With a bill passed through the Senate through regular order in four years of rehabilitating underfunded budgets for NIH, UMR and I thank you for your time and for joining us on this podcast. Great to be with you. Thanks for all you're doing to encourage this kind of research and this kind of work. The Amazing Things Podcast is presented by United for Medical Research because America's investment in medical research through the National Institutes of Health is making amazing things possible. Learn more at unitedformedicalresearch.com.